Thank you, uh, Christy and worship team, for leading us this morning. Would you, would you pray with me as we turn to God's word? Lord, we thank you for uh, the scriptures that you have given to us. And we pray that it would speak to us today, that we would come to know you better. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So last week, uh, we talked about this idea that God wants to be known, that God wants to be known. And, and I think for me last week, I, I kept saying that throughout the week as I was preparing, and then I said it here, and it just felt like, I, I don't know if we were really getting it. That the creator, the one who is omnipotent and omnipresent and omniscient and whatever theological word that you've heard that you don't understand, that God who is higher and greater and better and kinder and more loving and more gracious and more just, that God wants to be known to us. That is the God that wants to be known to us. And so we talked last week about how he wants to be known through his people, by his people and through his people. And we looked at the story of of Israel and their calling out of Egypt in the Exodus. And that through their story and uh, God's redemption in their, the life of their people, that God would be made known uh, to the world through them. And then we also talked about how God wants to be known by you. And through you specifically. And Christy, thank you, sister. Where are you? Thank you for sharing your story of God's faithfulness, your testimony of where God was for you in that darkest time of your life. Christy modeled for us today exactly what we want each one of us to be able to do. To share some part of our story, some part where we knew that God was real and that he was present and he moved us through something or uh, exposed something in our life that needed to be exposed or whatever it was in your life, some story in your life that we then share with others. So that God wants to be known by you and he wants to be known through you. So the sermon today is continuing to talk about how God wants to be known, but today we're going to narrow our focus to this good news that in his mercy, God has made us, God has made himself known to us through Jesus Christ, his son. That God has made himself known to us through Jesus Christ, his son. I'm going to begin this morning by reading through three different passages in the New Testament that speak very clearly about how God has chosen to make himself known through Jesus. And so I'd like for you to open your Bibles today first to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And I'm going to read a few verses from this opening chapter of John's Gospel. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. And in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not 
understood it. Go to verse 14. And this word, the word that was in the beginning with God, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who comes from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16. From the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only who is at the Father's side, has made him known. This is the opening of God, John's gospel, his story about the life of Jesus. And he begins by telling us is that it's through this one Jesus that we come to know God the Father. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. About halfway through the middle of the New Testament, Colossians chapter 1. And we hear this incredible, these incredible words by Paul. This was probably some sort of, of hymn that they sang together in the early church about who Jesus was. And let's just listen to how Paul describes how God is made known to us through Jesus. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 20. Paul writes, He, that is, Jesus the Son, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, Visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. One more passage in the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. Hebrews, chapter 1. The writer of Hebrews says this, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. God has chosen to make himself known to us through Jesus. I just want to take a minute to to weave that theme and to draw out that theme through the verses that we just read. The writer of Hebrews says that in the past, God spoke to us through various ways through the prophets, but in these last days, he has done a new thing in Jesus. He has chosen to reveal himself through his son, who the writer of Hebrews says is the exact representation of God's being. Like the prophets before, Jesus was sent into the world to speak the word of God to the world. But the Gospel of John told us that not only did Jesus speak the word of God to the world like the prophets did, he was himself the word of God that came into the world. Like the prophets, Jesus was sent into the world to shed light into a dark world. 
The people of Israel and and, in the world in the days of the prophets, it was dark. They were looking for a a word from God. And the prophets came and they, they shed light into the world with their words from God. And Jesus did that too. He came and he brought light into the world through his teaching. But we read in John 1 that Jesus is not only the one who, who brings light through his words, that he is the light of the world. Like the prophets, Jesus came to tell people about who God is and about what God desires from us. And Jesus did do that, but... The scriptures tell us that Jesus not only tells us about God, he shows us what God is like. John 1.18, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in close relationship with the Father. He has made God known to us. So Jesus does not only tell us about God, he is God in the flesh. The radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the faithful witness that all other witnesses point to. And if we want to know who God is and what God is like, we can simply look to Jesus. This God who is beyond our imagining, bigger and greater and kinder and more powerful than we can imagine. Again, omniscient, omnipotent, yell out some others. What are the other things that we know about who God is? Holy, Holy, eternal, amazing. There can't be words high enough to describe what God is. Indescribable. And yet we get to know him. By looking to Jesus. And because he's beyond our imagining, beyond the words that we can say to describe him, he chose to come down to us and to enter into our world so that we could know him. He became one of us so that we could see him and know him. And Colossians tells us this this great mystery that even though he emptied himself and became a human being, that at the very same time, the fullness of God dwelled in him. Not a part of God, not some certain aspect of God, the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. So that when we see Jesus, we see an exact representation of God. Jesus Christ of Nazareth made God known to us in his life, in his interactions with people, in the wisdom of his teachings, in the miracles that he performed, in his death on the cross, in his resurrection. He was an exact representation of God to us. In the life of Jesus, we come to know God. In the life of Jesus, we come to know the heart of God for us. I want you to think for a minute about your favorite story of Jesus. What is your favorite story about Jesus' life? Just think about that for a minute. What is your favorite story? One of my favorite stories is the, the story of, of that man who was such a disruption to his community, so broken and hurting that he would cry out among the rocks. And so they chained him up to rocks so that he couldn't 
come back into the community and disturb people. So he's out there in the wilderness, chained by the rocks, and he was so disrupted and and so filled with demons that he actually broke the chains and continued to cause disruption all around that community. And Jesus comes to this man. And he heals him. He casts that legion of demons out of this man. And we read that the man was sitting there clothed and in his right mind. What does that story say to us about the heart of God for broken, hurting, disruptive people? Joe, what's your favorite story about Jesus? Peter. And how he told him what he was going to do. He told Peter, you're going to deny me tonight. Mm. And I watched Peter through that night. And he started the night with courage. Mm. I mean, there was a mob that it's not like he had today's heavy weapons. Mm -hmm. He pulled a sword against overwhelming odds Mm -hmm. and struck. Mm -hmm. And I think when Jesus said, no, that's not how we're doing it. Mm -hmm. It was like popping a bubble Mm -hmm. and but then jesus didn't leave him peter still stayed close enough that when jesus walked out of the house Mm -hmm. they made eye contact Mm -hmm. and i just have to feel that that moment jesus said you're still mine Mm -hmm. i still love you in spite of everything amen amen friends have you ever denied jesus Ever denied Jesus with something you've done or said, even though you've said with great confidence you wouldn't do that before, like Peter? What does that demonstrate about God's heart for you? In the times that you have denied him, in the way, as Joe said, he, he continued to be in relationship with Peter and eventually restored him at the end and called him to a new work. We can do this about every story in Jesus' life. Because when we see Jesus, when we see the way that he interacts with people, the heart of God is revealed to us. Who God is, what he is like, is revealed to us. God makes himself known to us through Jesus of Nazareth. To come to know Jesus is to come to know God. God reveals his heart, reveals his character to us. Through Jesus, And because of him, because he emptied himself and became one of us, we can then come to know God. One of the prophets, uh, one of those with a really funny name, Habakkuk, you know, sometimes uh, in America, in English, we have some names that we like, you know, Isaiah or Jeremiah. There's some Jonas out there and some Micahs. There's not a whole lot of people naming their kid Habakkuk or Haggai. He's one of, the, one of those prophets with a funny name, Habakkuk 2.14. Habakkuk says this, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Would you read that with me? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the seas. These prophets in the Old Testament use a lot of different kinds of images to talk about what God is going to do in the end, what God's final purposes and plans for the world are. Here is Habakkuk's image, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the seas. It's an interesting image. How much of the sea is covered by water? All of it. Even so much so that seas and waters are just the same thing in our head, right? The water, for in English anyways, it's not that the seas are covered with water. The sea is the water. The idea here is clear. There is coming a time where there will be no place on earth that is not completely and entirely filled with the knowledge of God. This is a summary of where creation is going. At the end of all things, all of creation will be saturated with the knowledge of God. The whole earth will be filled with understanding God's character and his goodness and his kindness and his justice and his mercy. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the seas. And the wonderful thing about that is that knowledge of God, it cannot be exhausted. And so all of creation will know God and will be growing more and more in our knowledge of God forever and ever and ever. The earth will be saturated with the knowledge of God and will keep just be soaking up more and more of who he is. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is where I want to spend the rest of our time this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm just going to walk verse by verse through a few, a few of these verses. So I think it speaks, of, speak to us, speaks to us very clearly about the way that God is at work, making known the, the knowledge of him to us through Jesus, and then our calling to make, uh, to make him known to others. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, let's begin with verse 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This is Satan's mission statement. This is the devil's mission statement. Your enemy wants to blind you and all people so that we cannot see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age, our enemy Satan, is at work blinding people's eyes, keeping them in darkness, so they cannot understand the good news of what I've said today about who Jesus is, as the one who reveals God to the world. Verse 5, Paul says, For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. As we think about being a witness, Paul is clear here. He points us in the right direction. His message, his testimony, his witness is about Jesus. His role is to point people to Jesus. We aren't faithful witnesses of Broadway Christian Church. We aren't faithful witnesses of whatever version of Christianity that we subscribe to. We are witnesses of Jesus. Our calling is to point people to him. And then verse 6, and I want you to listen for the echoes of Habakkuk 2.14 in this verse. 
Paul writes, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Do you hear the echo of Habakkuk 2.14? And it's really less than an echo. It's really a direct quote. That the knowledge of the glory of God that is one day going to fill the whole earth, right now the knowledge of the glory of God is in your heart if you know Jesus. Right now, if you know Jesus, then you have access to the knowledge of the glory of God that Habakkuk promised for the whole world back when he wrote his letter. And what God wants to do right now is to saturate your heart with the knowledge of him. To fill your heart with the knowledge of him as the waters cover the seas. That right now, God in his mercy has chosen you to be a vessel, a place where the knowledge of God resides. One day, the knowledge of God is going to fill the whole earth. Well, right now it resides in your heart and in the heart of every person who knows Jesus. And what a treasure to have that in our heart. The knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. And so that's what verse 7 says. Paul says that we have this treasure, this knowledge of God in the face of Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for us. Knowing Jesus is a treasure. The knowledge of God is a treasure. It is a gift from him. It is the treasure above all treasure. It's the treasure that the parable spoke about. I think Alex spoke this out last week. The treasure that that man in the parable found in in a field, and he sold everything that he had so that he can go and buy that field so that he could gain that treasure. And this treasure, this knowledge of God in the face of Christ, it is contained, Paul says, in a jar of clay. Why would Paul call our hearts a jar of clay? A jar of clay is a weak thing. It's a brittle thing. He doesn't say that God chose to put this treasure in a vessel of iron or in an iron safe, or in a beautiful gold container even. He says that this treasure he has placed in a jar of clay. My easily broken, brittle heart. And yet God has chosen to trust the knowledge of himself into this brittle, easily broken vessel. He goes on in verses 8 through 11 to describe his own ministry. And it's not impressive. And in the world's eyes, in many ways, looks like a failure. He says this, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, So that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death 
for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. This is how Paul describes his calling and our calling to be a witness for him in the world. And I want you to notice that there's nothing impressive about this. There's nothing here about having the right answers or having a slick or impressive presentation. There's no fancy strategy that Paul describes here. No long-term vision of how we're going to reach the nations for Christ. Our calling for Paul is to be a jar of clay that contains the knowledge of God and to be willing to be broken for him. So that the knowledge of him can be made known to the people around us. And so I want to finish here simply by talking about this responsibility that we've been given to be a witness. If we have a treasure and it's been placed in us, brittle and fragile jars, though we may be, what is our responsibility? What are we called to do as faithful witnesses to Jesus? I suspect for quite a few of you, as we've begun to look at this Uh, this series of faithful witness that there are are some of you that it's already creating a little bit of anxiety or nervousness for you there's a lot of baggage around the idea of being a witness to jesus and evangelism and converting people not only do we come with some some baggage about our thoughts about those things but we're also very aware of the jar of clayness of our own heart And how weak we are and how brittle we are and how much we fail to live out this calling that God has given to us. And so throughout the next couple of months, we are going to address that anxiety, that nervousness that some of you have, some of that pressure that comes from unnecessary baggage that comes with these ideas that we're carrying around with us. This nervousness that we have, we're going to address those things. And I just want to say it at the very beginning, let's not pretend it's not there. Right? It is there. The truth is, most of us in this room love Jesus. We know who he is. We know what he's done for us. And yet we still struggle to know what it means for me, for you, to bear witness to him, to to be a witness to him in the world. And so during this time, looking at this responsibility to be a faithful witness, we hope to to do a couple things. First, we are going to challenge you. There are internal barriers, internal struggles that all of us have that we want to encourage you to identify and to name and to push through those things. There are some internal struggles in us that need to be put to death so that we can bear witness to Jesus faithfully. There's a dying to ourselves that's required if we're going to be a witness for Jesus in our lives. And so we do want to to challenge you to push through some of those internal barriers or hesitancies that you have. And at the same time, we want to help each one of you find your way in being a faithful witness. We're going to be offering you tools and ideas for how to be a witness, some very practical steps and ideas of how to do that. But at the end of the day, we want you, as I said earlier, as Christy modeled for us, to be able to find your way to bear witness to God's work in your life. We believe that God has made himself known to the world through Jesus, and we have been given the gift of this good news 
and we are called to share that with others. And so as we begin thinking about this idea of being a witness, there are a couple of initial thoughts or suggestions that I want to offer to you. A faithful witness is someone who is seeking to become like Jesus. The first step in being a faithful witness is seeking to become like Jesus. The most faithful witnesses are not people who rack up the most converts or who draw the biggest crowds. None of us likely are going to be Billy Graham. There's one Billy Graham. We are grateful for him. We're grateful for the work that God did through him. But Billy Graham is not our measure of what it means to be a faithful witness. Our measure is Jesus. Are you becoming more like Jesus? The most faithful witnesses are men and women who are like him, who over time in their lives, by being with him, by finding their own way with scripture and through prayer, by being a part of God's people, are people who have been formed into the image of Jesus, who have been conformed into his likeness have become his disciples and followers who have, over time, become more and more like him. If we are going to be faithful witnesses to Jesus, our first priority is our relationship with him and seeking to become like him by the help of the Holy Spirit. The more that we are with him, the more we will know him. The more that we know him, the more that we will be like him. And the more that we are like him, the better witnesses we will be. I'll just say that again. The more we are with him, the more we will know him. The more we know him, the more we will be like him. And the more we are like him, the better witnesses we will be to him. The most faithful witnesses are those people who are most like Jesus. Second, a faithful witness is someone who points people to Jesus. Again, there's sometimes a lot of pressure around this, the pressure to have the right answers, to say the right thing in the right way, to be impressive to people or have some incredible story. But I just want you to think about the words of John the Baptist, who was the first witness to Jesus. And what he said about himself is that I must decrease and he must increase. And a faithful witness is someone who sees the work of Jesus over and over in their life and points to him over and over again. All of our stories, uh, all of us, our stories are different. There are some of you who have stories of, of big and radical stories of God's change in your life. And there are other stories that are much quieter from the world's perspective. But part of our growth as a witness to Jesus is to realize more and more just how much it is, just how much it is a miracle that God would choose to make my jar of clay heart a place where the knowledge of him dwells. And there is great freedom in understanding that our witness is simply telling our stories and pointing people to the work of Jesus in our life. At that time, maybe a long time ago, when he radically converted you to him, or in the day-to-day -day activities of your life where you discover that he is there and at work. God has chosen to make himself known 
through Jesus. The God of this age has blinded the eyes of people to this truth. But because of God's grace and mercy, he has chosen to open your eyes and to place the knowledge of Jesus into your heart, into your fragile, brittle, jar of clay heart. And God knows that about your heart. He knows exactly where he put the knowledge of him. He's not surprised that your heart isn't a safe of iron or a beautiful gold piece on the shelf. He knows that your heart is brittle and soft like a jar of clay. He, know exactly, he knows exactly your fears and your weaknesses. And the glory of God, the glory of God will be made known most clearly through our weaknesses and not through our strengths. It's not in your strength where you will most faithfully witness to Jesus. It will be in your weakness that Jesus is most revealed through you. So, Lord, we, we pray that we would be like John the Baptist, who boldly said, I must decrease and you must increase. We like to lead with our strengths. We like to lead with those things that most impress other people. Lord, I pray that we would discover that you are most clearly revealed through us in our weaknesses. And that we would over and over give you glory for the work that you are doing in our lives to meet us in our, most, in our weakest places. And that you want to be made known through us there. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.